welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to a much more subdued and regular episode of the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher. I'm here with Tom. Tom, how have you been? Have you gotten some rest? <laughs> uh, as we were saying before we got started, I feel a little lighter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all breezy and airy right now. I felt it a little while we were recording it, and definitely as I was editing the episode, I'm like, wow, we... We, we sound tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that was a lot to go through, and we did it all for you. Yeah, we may have to rethink how we do 31 Nights of Halloween next year. <laughs> you, you know, uh, a lot of places uh, uh, just do, like, 15. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we might just have to pick out highlights. <laughs> Absolutely. Not mention some of the others. Yeah. Uh, it was a fun experiment. It, it was, and uh, I mean, it was great doing it the year before as well, uh, and doing our made-for-TV twist this time around. It, it's amazing where you can find gems out of what looks like a sea of real terrible tragedy. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, and especially when some of those gems are nearly forgotten. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I don't remember anything about don't go to sleep and and things like that. And, um, and it seems like one of those ones that would be kind of higher up on a lot of people's lists. You and think? Yeah. It, if it weren't for somebody that taped this thing on some giant VHS and <laughs> hung on to it long enough to digitize it to YouTube, I mean, some of these things would be lost to time. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, they were, it's not like they were rerun an awful lot either. Some of those might not have ever seen the light of day much past their original air date. But you'd think uh, you'd at least hear a little more rotation out of stuff like the stuff that Wes Craven did. Yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, yeah, that's definitely his earlier stuff. Um, people have like their little touchstones for Wes Craven that they always bring up. But it's like, well, what about his TV work? <laughs> Do you not know about that? Do you just ignore that? You gotta take the bad with the good. Right. And I wouldn't even say that what what he had was bad. I mean, one was, it was okay, and the other one was just, a sh- sh- um, excuse me, crap ton of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try, trying to keep it a little PG for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, moving on from that, um, you want to start with kind of like the sad news? Yeah, I feel like while we try not to hit on every single one when, when we hear bad news about an actor or director passing, but I think Dean Stockwell was uh, was one that we really liked. He was in a lot of stuff that we were part of that we love to see and watch. Yep, absolutely. He was definitely one of those actors that just kind of made you smile when you see his name show up in the credit that he was going to appear on this show or in this movie. You're like, oh, good, no, I like Dean Stockwell. Um, very sad. He died uh, 85, I believe. He passed away, uh, apparently passed away peacefully in his home. I had no idea how far back his career went. He was a child actor on Broadway and then w- moved into films. He managed to actually appear alongside people like Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly and Errol Flynn. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I would think Catherine Hepburn's name came up somewhere, too. I, I had no clue. You think of 85 as a fairly full life, but, I mean, he started his career in 45. At least yeah. started his uh, film career of any kind in 45. Yeah, it, pretty incredible. 
I and I had no idea. I think, like most other people, I think probably knew him best from Quantum Leap. I mean, that's when yeah. he became sort of like that recognizable person that you saw. And I literally did not know anything about his career prior to that. No. As far as I knew, it started with Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's just that character actor. He was uh, He's in, like, everything back in the day. But he was, he's great background and presence, but uh, he's that unassuming guy most of the time. And Quantum Leap's the first one where we all got to see the 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 funny, intelligent, smart character that he could be. Yeah, it makes me want to go want to go back and watch some of these old TV shows when he was just doing the character actor work and everything. Cause he he showed up in things like Columbo and Murder She Wrote, Murder She Wrote, um, Bonanza and Wagon Train. Those are the kind of things where I I love catching reruns and finding young actors when they're just nobodies. Right, and actually, as I'm I'm scrolling through this, I had almost forgotten uh, with the new Dune film out currently. Mm-hmm. I forgot he was Dr. Yui in the original Dune film from 84. Well, he was only in the film for... <laughs> wasn't he in, in, in there for a few minutes? Well, so no, I no, could no. see where you forget he, that. He, he made appearances for about the first half of the film. Okay. Right up until the character buys it. <laughs> well, depending on which version of, of that Dune you watch... This is it, true. Yeah. It, that, it seems like a, a real short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> Little bit, yeah. No, if you cut it down to the two-hour one, it's a little. His appearance is brief. Yes, <laughs> you get the four-hour one. You get at least maybe ten minutes of him. <laughs> I think it's just amazing. I mean, it, I'm always sorry to see an actor that ever, that you enjoy when he passes away, but he left just tons of work to remember him by. Absolutely. I just was going through all of these lists. I didn't even realize. He, he was in uh, a Batman Beyond film. He was the voice of Tim Drake, the second Robin. Oh, the, no kidding. The third Robin, sorry. Yeah. Third Robin. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm looking at just the uh, at one of his uh, obituaries here and everything, and I'm thinking, I'm not only going to like be able to remember him, when I, I'm going to be discovering him anew, because I'm going to go back and I'm going to be looking for him in all these shows. I'm going to be watching these reruns and, and finding he's going to be pop, you know, special guest star. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah. like Columbo. I've got to find the Columbo that he appears. He was in the Twilight Zone in 61. I mean, I that's mean, 18. Uh, yeah, I feel the, feel it almost necessary to go dig up uh, the 18. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I hope he's... I just hope it's not like a walk-on. I hope he's like, you know, the villain or something like that. Just so much to go through. Yeah, I'll be discovering his work for uh, years. Just last year, the year before, I saw the uh, Dunwich Horror, which is a uh, 1970 film uh, based on an H.P. Lovecraft. And, uh, yeah, it was neat to see him in that. It was very 70s. And again, it's like one of these things where you're only used to seeing him in like Quantum Leap or in the uh, the new bat- newer Battlestar Galactica. And then to see him in 1970 as a starring role in a film, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that that would be fun to dig up. But I, I know you're just dying to catch his uh, his voice acting in Captain Planet and the Planeteers. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> he had a great character name. It was Duke Nukem. <laughs> oh, wasn't that like one of like the lead baddies in that story? It was. He uh, he he was in nine episodes. So now you're just going back and watching them all. <laughs> I probably still won't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's always a line. Yeah. Yes, but he he will be missed, but uh, I'm thankful that I've discovered that he's just got even more than I had any inkling of to go back and and catch him in. Yep. Everyone, go out and find yourself a good Dean Stockwell and remember the man. Yes. Well, a series I don't think he ever appeared in, but one I just kind of recently... I don't want to say discovered, rediscovered. I was cleaning out my uh, DVD shelves and stuff 
and came across a DVD set of a Canadian sci-fi film that, uh, or not film, but series from 2000 called Star Hunter. Yeah, I can't say this is one I know. I've, I've started this series at least twice and just haven't made it past four or five episodes. I just kept, I keep easily distracted. Uh, because honestly, it's not that great of a series. It is not a ripping space adventure. It's really more just sci-fi melodrama. And it's a pretty easy one to just fall asleep in front of the TV, too. <laughs> when, when is this uh, roughly out of? What time? Uh, 2000. 2000? Mm-hmm. I guess I have the uh, original 22 episodes on DVD, but there is um, Star Hunter Redux on Amazon Prime, which was done sometime later, where they slightly re-edit the episodes and then uh, provide uh, more enhanced visual effects. Yeah. Makes it a little easier to swallow. <laughs> so I've been watching that instead of my DVD set. Now, now I have to ask, uh, you, you, you clearly you're revisiting this, but what... <laughs> What drew you to purchase the uh, <laughs> the DVD set? I picked this up so long ago, I don't even remember. <laughs> Perhaps a convention find that you're like, ooh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I honestly don't remember how I got a hold of this thing or where it was from. Maybe it was just uh, a half price book kind of thing, or it a dollar at the library. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea where it came from, to be honest. Why I wanted to bring it up is because I found this kind of interesting. This is, like I said, came out in 2000. It's not the greatest series. It could use a little help, and the, the re-edits that they do do help. But what I find interesting is the characters in this series, the three main characters. We have got your kind of roguish captain, who's often seen wearing a brown coat. We have a young, quirky, socially awkward engineer girl. And we've got kind of like a uh, badass uh, second-in-command woman who often runs around in, in, in leathers. Oh, yeah. It's like, hmm, this all sounds and, or looks really familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't even imagine what you're trying to reference here. I, I, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Like, wow, this is really kind of a template for a lot of things that came later. When that kind of uh, kind of surprised me, because I, I I'm seeing a lot of Firefly in this. I'm seeing a lot of Killjoys. I'm seeing a little bit of Dark Matter. All these series that came well after this thing. But I'm thinking. I wonder how many of them have to, like, when someone brings up Star Hunter, they go, uh, oh, uh, I never heard of that. <laughs> the funny thing is Star Hunter ran consecutive when Firefly started. Was, is Firefly that? Was that Firefly actually? dates back to 2002. Uh, okay, according well. According to this, Star Hunter did a run 2000 to 2004. Yeah, well, that I think is because it Star Hunter ran 22 episodes starting in 2000, and then there was a second retooled season, which I think they even renamed to Star Hunter 3800 or something like that. And there may have been a gap in between mm. the production of those. And then, like I said, the uh, the Redux that's available that you can see, I think is still probably early 2000s. I don't think it's anything super recent that that was done right. that time frame may include a lot of uh nothing on the air and the re-releases and the retoolings and everything too it, it may but i think it's funny that uh, at least by imdb uh they they give it the date range 2000 to 2004 but firefly was 2002 to 2003 right <laughs> so so Firefly came and went in the same period of time that this thing at least had some sort of life. Right. But as I said, this does predate Firefly. Yeah, and, it does. you know, we got three main characters that are 
very reminiscent to the three main to three of the main characters of Firefly. Joss, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> it's a series that I think is worth kind of um, tentatively checking out mm-hmm. because there there are aspects of it that I do actually really like. I just think it doesn't quite. Maybe it's the acting. Maybe it's a little bit of the writing. Just there's weaknesses that help or that keep some of the finer and more interesting points from really shining through. I'd like to say more. I don't. I, I don't know anything about this particular piece. That maybe I'll have to visit this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's on Prime. So if you're if you're a subscriber to Prime, uh, check out the Star Hunter Redux. Because yes, I I could loan you the DVDs. <laughs> I, I do find the DVDs a little rough. The visual effects are really not great, <laughs> even by 2000s standards. Uh, the Redux does help. No, I'll have to check that out, especially with that kind of comparison to it. I'd be curious just to get that sense, because I'm such a uh, huge Firefly fan. I, I enjoyed that series immensely, mm-hmm. and I, I got to see this just for comparison. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I may be making it a more closer comparison than it truly is, but at least visually and sort of main character traits, I think, are, are very familiar, even though the actual characters and the stories behind them are, are quite different. No, no, but still, uh, I will, it'll be fun to kind of uh, visit and see... Uh, See at least where maybe some of the uh, aesthetic uh, transition from one to the other. Yeah, and like I said, it's not just Firefly that I see within this thing. I could definitely see where this, at least in some way, inspired a lot of the other kind of um, space adventure series that came afterward, like like the ones I mentioned, the Killjoys and Dark Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially things like Killjoys. Killjoys, I see, you know, if you do a gender swap of the characters, you get Killjoys. So <laughs> everything breeds into something else. So um, it'd be kind of fun to visit this, see uh, if there's uh, some love that came from that. If this is not a great series, it'd be nice to see the elements that got picked up that were worthy. Yeah, absolutely. And it well, it's one of these things that I think it's a series that could easily be forgotten and its um, descendants remembered. And that's what I kind of like. Well, I feel like I have to watch this now because I'm really looking at it as being an ancestor to uh, to all these other shows that I really enjoyed. And I, I kind of feel like I, I owe it to pay it some respect. That is fair. Well, I don't think I have anything else unless you've been watching anything you have anything else that you wanted to bring up well i've been uh, mostly just the cleansing since our last <laughs> <laughs> last go around so uh, finishing up uh, i'm just desperate for anything related to the uh, the old top gear stuff so i've uh, do- i dove back into all the grand tour stuff and watching that in a chunk, like just binging the whole thing, it, it's kind of funny. It's uh, it, it never kind of fully came into its own, and and then it was gone by the time they did start to find a groove. And so yeah, like uh, first season had some good stuff, but they didn't have their groove down. Second season was fairly good. Third season they were really kind of getting into it, but then they they killed it off so that they could do just the uh, adventures and they've only managed to do three since killing off the third season. Yeah. 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 I remember that first season. Um, like you said, it, it definitely had some good moments, but they fortunately, they learned from mistakes when it came around to the second season, they stopped the, the goofy, Oh, we have a guest and here he comes and Oh my God, he died. And everyone and you know, James acts stupid. So I guess he's not coming. You know, yeah, that got old. That was like that's one that that is literally one joke, and they repeated it every episode. <laughs> they, it, it was kind of funny because even in the episodes, they they were like, they were picking on this as being stupid every time that they started doing it too. <laughs> yeah, it, it got old, and so when the second season came along, they dropped that. And, okay, good. They're they're learning. They're actually maybe listening to people. 
<laughs> I'm like, yeah, people didn't like that. Let's move on. I, I know they wanted to switch to the big adventure stuff, but the Amazon big adventure stuff wasn't as quite well-crafted as the uh, the BBC stuff was. Yeah, it wasn't quite as grand uh, as you would expect on the grand tour. No, and a, a lot of it is over-scripted mm-hmm. and just coming up with... They, they, they were coming up with gags just to have gags. So by the time you got into the... That's all they're doing, those last three. The, the last one is not bad because it kind of returned to its roots. Actually, the fact that they had to do it in a pandemic and stay in England... Mm-hmm. was to their benefit. Yeah, sure. Because they got so hung up on where they were going, they didn't... Like, their little trek looking for the pirate booty in, in their their second one was yeah. just... It was just so forced. And yeah, that was they painful. They kind of forgot about the fact that they were driving cars. Yeah, the other one was a little bit painful. Yeah, yeah, and actually the boat one was really painful. Yeah, I've already erased it from my memory, to be honest. <laughs> they hated doing it. Clarkson's the only one that was anywhere into it, and it was because he was sharing Vietnam history. Mm. That oh, that's right. Yeah, he did have that old Vietnam... Uh, I, I, yeah. I vaguely remember that. His boat was built as a, as a military river right. attack vessel. He had a lot of history on that, but the other two were miserable, and they had a, a everything about it is like, aren't, aren't we a car show? Right. <laughs> I, I actually find myself dreaming and hearing Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> watch too much. Yeah, I think so. Well, let's go ahead and leave that behind as well. Now, let's take a break, uh, listen to a promo for another podcast, and then we, when we get back, we're gonna do our second-to-last MST3K Unrift episode and look at This Island Earth. like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. The two of you are beginning a strange journey. A journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Universal International presents the most startling, the most imaginative and suspenseful science fiction drama ever brought to the screen. You'll marvel at the superior intelligence that unleashes its deadly ray. Or can kidnap an airplane in flight. They're pulling us up. Prisoners hurtling through endless space, speeding toward the unearthly furies of a planet gone mad. See sights never before dreamed by man. The battle between guided meteors and deadly rays. They're going to hit us. They're going to hit us. A planet doomed to destruction. 
while captive Earth people fight for their lives. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Run, Ruth, run! This Island Earth from 1955 was a Universal International Studios production produced by William Allen, directed by Joseph M. Newman and Jack Arnold, and starred Rex Reason, Jeff Morrow, Faith Dumer, and Russell Johnson. Electrical engineer Cal Meacham and his assistant gets a delivery of odd and incredibly small but powerful electronic parts when trying to order replacements for their experiments in atomic energy. After receiving a parts manual, they order everything required to build what is described as an interocitor. Once completed, it puts them in contact with a mysterious being called Exeter, who invites Meacham to join his think tank of world-renowned scientists. Upon arriving, Meacham is reunited with a lovely acquaintance, Dr. Ruth Adams. They, along with fellow scientist Dr. Carlson, uncover Exeter and his colleagues are up to more than their supposedly benign endeavors, and before they know it, they are catapulted into a universe-spanning battle where the prize may be the Earth itself. This film was used as the subject to Mystery Science Theater 3000's only theatrical outing, Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Movie, in 1996. This film, I think, is almost always held up as being as one of the classics of 1950s science fiction, uh, along with like War of the Worlds, uh, Day of the Earth Stood Still, uh, When Worlds Collide is another one that pops into mind for me. Yeah, it's kind of in the pantheon of 50s and 60s sci-fi. And I think what raises this one above a lot of the other, I mean, the 50s was rife with science fiction films, uh, with flying saucers and aliens and all that sort of stuff. I think the um, the fact that they actually this one had a budget, <laughs> I think, <laughs> is probably the biggest uh, help with this one. It was in you know very vivid Technicolor when all the other films around it were most likely in black and white. In fact, this was Universal's first uh, color science fiction film. I think what's really interesting is, and this will come up as we talk about the fact that it was the MST3K, the movie's film of choice. And it's something that came up. I remember seeing an interview with um, Mike Nelson. And he pointed out that, you know, yes, everyone considers this a classic. He says, but let's be honest, it has a lot of B-movie qualities. Mm -hmm. And he's really right. I mean, this has got, it's got the flying saucers. It's got the bug-eyed monsters. It's got sort of the... um, Dr. Slab Chunk, you know, the handsome scientist. It's got all the stuff that's in all the other, like, B-grade, Poverty Row-type science fiction films. But it's in Technicolor. (laughs) It's in Technicolor. There is a story here. And as you pointed out, it, it had a budget, so... For the day, a lot of the effect the effects were not bad. <laughs> no, I think they were actually pretty impressive. I mean, by today's standards, obviously they look a little silly. I mean, they, mm-hmm. um, but for the time and for being in color, you know, color wasn't always as kind to the visual effects as the black and white. I think you could get away with a lot of stuff with black and white. Color was a little bit more difficult, and the, the and the amount of visual effects that were required for this. Um, the fact that they were able to pull that off, I think is really impressive. Well, yeah. I mean, when you think about all of the work done, um, when they go to Metaluna and, uh, making that look like an alien world, uh, an alien world under attack where they have to live under the surface, the artwork and all that. I mean, it's clear you're looking at, uh, um, matte paintings and, and such for some of that, but the the amount of detail that went into them to make them 
feel part of this world was was impressive for the day. You know, I even had to go look at one of the, probably the uh, apex of 1950s science fiction was Forbidden Planet Mm -hmm. from MGM. That came out a year after this one. So I was wondering what order, you know, did uh, Universal see that and decide they want to do their own? Now it's starting to look like maybe it was the other way around. Or (laughs) did uh, MGM get wind of this island Earth and come up with Forbidden Planet? (laughs) Well, and the way back then, the way you churn out a film, I mean, it went from idea to let's do it. it, it, in hours and days, not not it, it's not the production that goes on today when you go to make a film. So a Universal Studio would pitch this, and they'd be in production by the following week. I find myself actually coming up kind of short on what to talk about. So many of the films we watch have uh, issues. Let's say. <laughs> And I'm not going to say this doesn't have a few, but I find them hard to, like, um, kind of hard to pick on. <laughs> well, then, then, then let me <laughs> round it out for you. I'll make, uh, you the, I'll make you the bad guy. You can make me the bad guy. No, uh, I, again, uh, this is an incredibly um, enjoyable, um, old classic sci-fi. But when you actually sit down to watch it, um, I had a beautiful copy. There was a beautiful copy on, on uh, I appreciate that you had one. YouTube actually had a very nice copy, crystal clear. Great. Um, good sound, watching it. They probably had the widescreen too. I realized when watching this that my DVD is actually a standard definition full screen. And that's actually what the YouTube one was. So was wherever it? you got yours, I think theirs was probably the same. But uh, but this is where, uh, and actually I'm going to pick on Mystery Science Theater a little bit in this. Um, as before we got started recording, this movie comes in at an hour 26. Mystery Science Theater, the thousand, the movie, came in at like an hour 14. <laughs> Now, that's including all of the things that make it Mystery Science Theater 3000. All, all the all bumpers, the, yeah. The little bits that, the, that they do. And despite the fact that they had to cut this film down significantly, nothing was missing. Because uh, let, let's be fair, as beautiful as this is, as fun as it is, there is a great deal of padding in this film. There are activities and actions and things that just go on. When Cal Meacham gets his picture taken, climbs into his his jet that the taxpayers have provided him, and, and takes takes off for California from Washington, um, as he's leaving, we get to, like... See the entire flight. (laughs) I'm like, that didn't need to be as long as it was during during the actual film. So, and Mystery Science Theater did us the favor of cutting most of that out. Yeah, I think the one cut that I know they, they made in the MST film, it gives the film a real rough, uncomfortable, what just happened is they cut out a lot of the um, discussions between uh, Meacham, Adams, and Carlson. Yes. And it kind of goes from, oh, let me show you to the lab, and straight to they're discussing the, you know, mysterious uh, what's going on at at this place. And it's like, wow, that came out of nowhere. Suddenly there's drawings? What? (laughs) Uh, and, and that's fair. They they did take some of the intrigue and discovery portion out, which um, you're right, but it didn't take, even in the real film, it didn't take them long to jump from um, are we here to do science or are we here to be sl- enslaved by, by somebody. So um, it, 
either way, that was a, a little awkward. There could have been more. That that, but that's what I love about this film. Anyways, there is that story though. Uh, it is not a uh, straight up alien invasion. In fact, that's not entirely the goal here. Um, the fact that they want to try to save their own planet, and this planet seems to be on the track of find making the discoveries that would help us at home. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really liked that. Yeah, I like that the uh, alien invasion is actually kind of, that's plan B. Right. For the Metalunans. Even at invasion, uh, they're talking about their populations not significant enough to take the whole planet. Right. They just want to intermingle and, of course, make themselves powerful in the process, but they, yeah. they, they're they not real clear on that. They're more... Uh, it's more just you're our lifeboat. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also like that there are. It's not like oh, the whole world is set out to conquer the Earth. There's, there's different parties. You know, we got Exeter who's like, no, we don't need to do this that way. You know, these are these are intelligent beings, and we can we can live with them. And and it's you know the higher ups that go, no, wipe their memory, take them to the processing, blah blah. <laughs> But I mean, even well, while no one wants their memory wiped, their their first instinct wasn't to wipe them out. That that wasn't the ultimate goal. So right, it I was mean, to control that, them. To control them, maybe, but yeah, not to just straight up kill them and take over uh, necessarily. Uh, so it that was a different uh, way of doing things. Most of alien invasion movies of the day was just straight up. We're gonna wipe you out, and we're gonna take your stuff. Yeah. So no, there's a there's a lot more nuance to the uh, to all the characters in this than you would typically find in the era of science fiction. The thing I actually uh, have to comment on is uh, is more the mystery science theater. Uh, the things that they cut out for time are the things that they could have picked on during the film. <laughs> like there were things to pick on and they 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 cut it out so much that they didn't take the opportunity to have some fun with that like we even cut they cut out most of the the stuff uh when um what is it the zargons oh the attack the attack yeah the initial attack and and, and the spaceship uh both defending itself and all that, they they cut most of that out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. While that would have been fun to see, there was stuff to kind of, of make fun of in that too. I mean, it was one of the cheesier effects. It was still good, and it was interesting to see the concept that there were ships flying in asteroids. Right. That was actually kind of cool. No, no, very much. Yeah, actually using the asteroids as weapons and stuff. It was a really great idea. And you're right. I mean, because they're trying to, like, make this film look like just a cheesy 50s sci-fi film, they cut out some of the cheesiest bits. Yes. <laughs> that's a really odd decision. It was. I mean, that, that that's what their pride and joy is, and they... they, they they actually did that, and ultimately, I, I have to say, after having watched the Mystery Science Theater again following this, not only did I enjoy the original more, but I mean, it was a weak Mystery Science Theater all the way around. I was actually, I'm a little on the other side of the fence on that one. I think as really? far as the as far as the latter MSTs go, I thought it was actually fairly good. I think my problem is is uh, because they had to prep this for the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to do it in a fashion where it was possible that those going to see it might not be familiar with any of the prior content. Mm-hmm. So, like, Dr. Forrester was just... It, he wasn't him. No, I, that was the, I was going to point that out as... And I think it had maybe had a little something to do with the fact, too, that this is really kind of Trace Bellew's last hurrah as Forrester. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. by this time he had announced that this, the current, the season that was going to air or was airing at the time was his final season. 
I'm not sure the 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 time frame of when the his final episode was versus when this film came out. So this was probably one of his last appearances as Forrester. And yes, I think he kind of went a little over the top. <laughs> a little over the top. And I think they wrote it because, again, you kind of have to explain this to those that have never bothered to see the show before. So he just became this avenue for why we're doing it this way. In fact, actually, some of the other stuff that took place, like it was... It was fun uh, with exploring more of the ship and the the dynamic between Crow and Tom and, and Mike and Gypsy was that was a lot lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came to quipping during the movie, while they had some good quips, uh, not nothing super memorable. And because they cut the film up so much. <laughs> There wasn't that much of it. I've described this before when we we're talking about one of the other um, MST3K on riffs is it's sometimes it's the simplest and smallest things that I find the funniest. I also have rough notes on its working controls. Hmm. It's guesswork mostly, but better than nothing. Not much. And these are portraits of Exeter and Brack. Do you notice the peculiar indentations in both their foreheads? No. Coincidental, <laughs> no doubt. Um, one of the ones, especially since it's plastered right up here for the trailer on IMDb, the tall seats that were at the front of the ship, like there, there's where you sit to control the ship. Right. There's the command seat toward the back, but then there are these like two or three slab things mm-hmm. with just a little butt holder <laughs> yeah. on them. And, and they go, our chair technology is so much more advanced than yours. <laughs> like that was okay. That that's on point. <laughs> yeah, no, they had a little fun with that. But again, like I said, they kind of cut the movie down so far that uh, they didn't get as many good opportunities as they could have had. Yeah, possibly. But I, I actually, I actually ended up enjoying it. This is the first time I'd watched the uh, MST3K the movie in. Wow, a long time. I I want to say this is the first time I've seen it since we saw it. Really? Okay, I'm sure I watched it at least once after the the theater, though I don't remember how, why, or where. Maybe I used to have it on VHS or something like that. But I had really no memory of whether it was any good or not. Uh, Watching it this time, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. Yeah. Watching it actually takes me back more to um, the convention we went to following it. Because that was not only just a great time, but that was a great convention. The the talks that they had, the the people that we got to meet, the fact that we got to go to Best Brain Productions, that was all great stuff. So I still have all the pictures of, uh, like... uh, um, Russell Johnson. Yes. <laughs> there. Yeah, we went to the Conventiocon Expo Festorama 2 Electric Boogaloo in That's 1996. Right. They had uh they had Russell Johnson there. Uh wasn't uh was Rex Reeson the other guy? I, yeah, I think Rex was there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Rex was there and uh in Kim Cattrall. <laughs> yeah. And they actually did a um they did a they did a showing of uh, this island Earth with uh, live riffs at the convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't recall whether it was the full film or the edited version. I I don't remember either. That's a long time. Right. Ago. Uh, I just know that at that point, I remember that's when I found out that Trace Bell U was leaving the show. I hadn't heard. Right. Yeah, I think he announced that there. Maybe there or, or just prior to or something. Because I remember something when they like uh, we were in the main room and they introduced Trace Bell, you, you know, here, Dr. Forrester, and everyone starts screaming, one more year, one more year. I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and that's when I found out he was leaving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a great convention because uh, Frank Conniff was there. And he had left the yeah. show, you know, a year or two prior. But yes. he came back to be frank once again yeah uh, and joel was there too yeah i want to say i think just about everybody that was 
ever in the show <laughs> as a yeah, cast no, member was I there. Mean, it, it, yeah, no, it was amazing to go through, um, get pictures of them all and just kind of suck it all in. They had great, they had all the props. And then, like I said, our trip to best uh, best brains and actually get to be in both Deep Thirteen and uh, the Satellite of yes. Love. That was pretty. Yeah, that cool. was that was a very neat experience. That was a fun time. Yeah, I kept thinking about the, that convention too while I was watching this and all mm-hmm. prep up to this. It was. I remember we had to to see the film. We had to go way out of our way to even find a theater that was showing the film. I remembered that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember the convention and remembering everything we yep. did at the convention. And that was all coming, kind of flooding back to me, too, as I was, you know, kind of prepping up for this episode. Yeah, so, I mean, this island Earth, for for us in particular, comes with all sorts of baggage all the way around. <laughs> all good stuff, too. Yes, it does. Now, now, to break away a little bit from the Mystery Science Theater, because this is supposed to be about an unrift. Yes. Um. One of the other things, again, don't want to take it away from the classic nature, the good quality. Uh, I mean, could have maybe come up with a better name for for their bug creature than mutant. <laughs> it was the it was well, mutant in the pant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still, an impressive um, monster for the time. I. I'm really sorry. Apparently they had legs that mimicked kind of its arms and torso, but they couldn't, the effects were having a hard time getting them to work and not fall apart. They're having issues with the actors and everything. And that's why they ended up just putting it in slacks. And it's such (laughs) a shame. Oh man. If I could go back in time with like the secret ingredient that could have made it work. Uh, this would have been one of the the classic 1950s sci-fi monsters. It still rates really high. I mean, you you oh, see yeah. images oh, of its head, <laughs> you know, kind of the busts of the Metalunan mutant. You you see in lots mm-hmm. of art and uh, and merchandise and everything. But yes, the the unfortunate uh, chinos. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, even Tom Servo goes. He's in slacks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that that aside, um, because it leads to kind of the, the thing I want to talk uh, about is, uh, I mean, yeah, in the 1950s, we're all for the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. But in this case, our damsel was like way over the top in distress. Uh, uh, I, I was getting rather frustrated with how often she was screaming. Mm. Um, and I, I I know they're trying to create some drama, but, you know, if she could just manage to put one foot in front of the other, <laughs> the, 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 the big bad mutant wouldn't have been so big and bad. Right. <laughs> so I was suffering a little of that and like, like is discussed a bit. Um, the so-called love affair between her and, and uh, Cal mm-hmm. it is uh, somebody plucked that out of thin air. It was one thing to have a conversation early on about that they had met at, at some conference and had a moment, and she's hiding that away because she doesn't want um, Exeter to think they really do have some relationship beforehand. Um but then when something kind of sort of develops because he, he's the deep-voiced man that's still around right. toward the end of the film was a little weird. Maybe. I actually kind of like the fact that they gave him a backstory. So, yes. so when they do kind of fall for each other, it doesn't feel like you've known him for two days and suddenly you're madly in love, you know, which is what was typical, not just science fiction, but just films, period. That still happens today. I mean, that's it just does, that's yes. just a trope of film. So I actually like <laughs> yes. that they gave them a bit of a past, that they may have had a, a, a brief romance or something, uh, or at least the, the, the beginnings of one, and so they could just be kind of picking up where they left off, and it, it 
made it feel a little bit more natural. I, I'll grant you that, but yeah, it's that. Well, I guess it's that whole crisis thing that 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 uh, we've 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 suffered uh, things, so now we're really attracted to one another again. Yeah, well, it's one of those relationships that yes, um, you've fallen for each other because you shared this experience, but a year from now, you guys aren't going to be together. <laughs> One of the other things that I really liked is a little bit of the science. Granted, a lot of it is the typical 1950s science that, you know, it works because it does. But I did like that they had the um, the, the thought to saying, well, not all planets are going to have the same gravity or the same air pressure. And so you're going to have to kind of decompress or, or you're going to have to be adjusted so you won't so you can survive on our world and so we can survive on Earth. It's just a little bit of of um, I don't. It's just a little bit of something that that would have really easily just been ignored. You didn't have to do that. You could have easily gone gotten under the flying saucer, flown from Earth, flown the Metaluna. Nothing would have been said. I like that they put that in there, even if it was only there to sort of go. We've got this really great effect we want to try, you know. <laughs> And we and we need to we need to pad the film another ten minutes. That does uh, lead to actually one of the more amusing things that came up during Mystery Science Theater because uh, um, as Exeter is mansplaining where everyone should go because uh, they're they're headed back to or Earth and the, he's like, Ruth, you take the first tube. You the next. What about you? I'll use the third tube. Oh, pff, right, sure. Stupid question. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, okay. <laughs> you guys are rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, and yet... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minor details. <laughs> but no, you're right. Uh, this There was some thought that went into that. Uh, I don't know about accurate, but it's uh, the, the notion that a world is not the same from ours to a, an alien one. And a Again, I just immediately think of uh, Forbidden Planet, who have their own mm-hmm. little tube thing, but they theirs is because they're going to decelerate, and you know if you go to the speed that they're going, they're they're traveling to slow down, it would you know throw you through the bulkhead. So they have to like suspend themselves in energy to be able to survive the uh, the yeah. deceleration, but still. There's a lot of similarities here. So, yeah, Forbidden Planet, mm-hmm. like like I said, the apex, the the film. I'm like, hmm. MGM was hanging out on the lot that I day. think so. <laughs> I think they had a spy in the... Uh... Because that never happened. No, no. <laughs> Again, it's a little bit like I was saying earlier today about um, Star Hunter and showing, you know, mm-hmm. kind of respect for the fact that it may have inspired other things. I, I feel like This Island Earth, while it is considered a classic, I don't think it's held quite as high as some of the films that came shortly thereafter. And I'm really starting to think that those films that came shortly thereafter have a lot to thank This Island Earth for. Absolutely. There, there, there are elements from this that just go on from here, from here to eternity with sci-fi after mm-hmm. it. So it, it did set a standard and kept going from yep. there. Shall we get into a few of the reviews? Yeah, yeah. What do you got? We actually, we actually have some from back in 1955. I'm glad we do. Yes. Uh, it, to just go through some of them quickly, we uh, one of my favorites uh, here is uh, I actually found the whole article from Howard Thompson of the New York Times. Um, right out of the gate, um, he kind of hits it on the head because uh, uh, his opening statement, the technical effects of This Island Earth, Universal's first science fiction excursion in color, are superlatively bizarre and beautiful that some serious shortcomings can be excused if not overlooked. The pants. <laughs> the, the pants and stuff. Um, and, and much to the point that I was trying to make with some of the padding in the film, um, he goes on later to go, it sorely needs a pair of shears. <laughs> <laughs> a less conventional musical score and a director of considerably more drive and less awe toward his subject 
than Joseph Newman. Mm. So not a super fan of Joe. Then. No, it doesn't sound like it. No, but then we, uh, in variety, we got uh, the special effects of of the most realistic type rival the story and characterizations in capturing the interest in this exciting science fiction chiller, one of the most imaginative, fantastic, and cleverly conceived entries to date in the outer space film field. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying is, you know, when it's surrounded by such kind of generic stuff where you go to see a sci-fi film and it feels a lot like the last sci-fi film you saw where it's just got an, ang- an alien in a silver jumpsuit with a ray gun or something or a, uh, a giant uh, beast that's been, you know, made large and attacking the city. Oh, boy. Uh, this one really stands out. Well, we covered it, touched on it a bit with the way that they developed the story at all. Um, when you think about most of the stuff from that time period, this actually made um, the aliens sympathetic characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good point. And another thing I thought of is um, so many of those other films, you know, radioactivity, the atomic bomb is responsible for the giant ants, uh, for the giant mm-hmm. tarantula, uh, for whatever the ills that we are that have befallen us or whatever. This one, they're actually trying to use atomic power for good. They needed to save their world. And even before that, everything that Cal Meacham and all of the other scientists that they took in to their little uh, think tank they were all there to figure out how to better use uh, nuclear energy for our everyday lives. Right. They weren't trying to make the new bigger, better bomb. They were trying yeah. to make atomic power plants. Uh, I, I was very uh, caught up on the whole uh, push-button age. I forgot about that <laughs> yes. term from back in the day. Because uh, watching this film and thinking hard about that notion har- makes it harder to think about where we're at now that this was a fictional film and during that time though it was probably a prevailing interest in science to actually learn from the technology that just came out of world war ii to really figure out how we can advance ourselves Mm -hmm. um how can we use what we've learned to do the everyday thing and really make it a better part of our lives. And where has that drive gone? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we got TV dinners and then we, uh, stopped (laughs) TV dinners and Velcro. (laughs) What more do you need? And while I make fun of the padding in this film and there is some, and it is worthy of being made fun of, but part of uh, this, if you can set aside just the, hey, we're doing something cool and we're going to show you way too much of it just because we think it's cool. Aside from that, the the story develops slowly. Um, it, it's, it's thought out. And I keep thinking of how we can now consume um, entertainment in bits and pieces that for some people, if it's longer than a minute or two, they're out. Yeah. So, so the TikTok age and, well, hell, at this point, YouTube videos are too long for some. Mm-hmm. So, something like this is, uh, it makes you appreciate uh, long-form storytelling a little bit better. Uh, Maybe that's why I enjoyed even the MST version um, as much Mm -hmm. as I did, is because I've recently found myself getting really annoyed at what I call short attention span television. Um, (laughs) Particularly because uh, Doctor Who just came back for this uh, new season. And it Mm -hmm. is... Let's tell the story in 3x speed. And it's like, God, just slow the hell down and tell me the story. Storytelling shouldn't just be action scene after action scene and breathless dialogue that doesn't mean anything. Slow down. <laughs> Even for those of us, uh, since th- this is partially about mystery science theater, um, 
One of the things that we talked about from the inception of Mystery Science Theater to today is it hit the sweet spot in the middle because it found the right it found the right balance between um, the content that it chose, what it chose to quip on, versus how much of the film it let you watch. Mm. Um, because early on early early on we're talking back when it was public access to the first season um you'd sit there and you'd just be watching the film and you wouldn't get any is kind of like what's the point right. um just watching a really old bad film to they picked up steam to now because people miss what made mystery science theater magical they've made new ones and if you watch the ones on Netflix, um, regardless how you feel about um, the lack of the original cast in any kind, they they're relentless during the film that don't that they don't shut up. Yeah. Everything is bang 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 bang. Next joke, next mm-hmm. joke, next joke, and like let me consume what I what you're watching. So that I can better understand what you're making fun of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so and if you don't give me a minute to catch up with what's going on, I can't tell why you're funny. Right. <laughs> but but it, it's that sense that we have today. Everything's got to be faster, faster, faster. And I'm like, I think we're losing something. Yep. No, absolutely. Because of it. No, I, I agree. And that's probably why I still, to this day, prefer to go back and watch things mm-hmm. I've watched a dozen times and that were you know, made long before I was even born is because they do take that time, even even sometimes to their detriment, admittedly. But they, mm-hmm. if someone does take that time to actually try to tell a story. Yeah, no, I recently got to introduce um, my son, uh, he, with all the entertainment that's out there, he has yet to see the Indiana Jones films. Oh, interesting. And yes, and so we started with Raiders of the Lost Ark. As you should. As you should. Um, and having... This is the first time in a while that I've sat down and watched it from beginning to end, and it takes its time. Mm-hmm. It unfolds the story. There's good action throughout because it is a masterpiece of filmmaking. Uh, I don't care what any of you <laughs> say. Come come fight me. I will. And I don't care that Indy has nothing to do with the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's a good ride and it's good storytelling. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it was a great to see him sit down and take it all in from beginning to end and actually enjoy uh, a story properly told. Yes. Over savored, not <laughs> not, not just come blow shit up and and we're out. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I hope I'm glad he enjoyed it. I hope he enjoys the others. He kind of really wants to watch uh, the next one, so that's what we'll watch the next time. Uh, we get a chance to sit down for a film. Yeah, fun. Well, do you have anything else you wanted to say about this island Earth or M- MST3K the movie? No, I think we covered rather quite a bit. It was a lot of fun to revisit both. Um, I remember watching them independent and together, uh, and I did never not like that. Yes. <laughs> Well, excellent. That'll do it for this episode then. Uh, as I mentioned last time, our final MST3K Unrift episode will be our next episode where we look at the Mystery Science Theater 3000 finale subject matter, Danger Diabolic. I've never seen it Unrift. You've never seen the MST. At least you don't think you have. No, I can't remember that I have, so I'm not seeing the film in either form. <laughs> so that should be really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing this on Rift because it is sort of the uh, Euro spy sort of thing, which I get a big kick out of. I like that genre. You, so I know that you do. <laughs> <laughs> even even when it's over the top, it's like so much fun. <laughs> I love that uh, one of our favorites is Danger Death Ray, and this is Danger Diablo. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see if it has ends up in the uh, 
the, in the same place in in my heart as a death ray. I I don't know. <laughs> so t- I'm not that's a I'm not one. saying there isn't room. I'm just you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna do it for this episode. We will catch everybody in a couple weeks. Bye. See ya. Naughty, 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 naughty.